Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus back in on sustainable investing, namely some themes and focuses that are top of mind and what the next few months might have in store for investors. Joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Amantia, Good morning. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning, Dan. Great to join. Absolutely. So maybe as a starting point, Amatia, can you speak to what the backdrop is as we look ahead to Q4 and further ahead? And how does sustainability fit into the Chief Investment Office's views? Thanks, Dan. So um, I would say um, sustainability uh, is really embedded throughout our views and our Q4 outlook. Um, You looked at a few very specific investment ideas for this quarter, um, ranging from, you know, looking to buy the winners from global growth to ways to seek unconventional yields in in the current environment to um, looking to diversify with alternatives as investors are looking for additional diversification options. But then, you know, we also looked at ideas that are more thematic, ranging from healthcare to investing longer-term themes, and of course, focusing in particular on opportunities that are relating to the net zero carbon transition that we're observing and experiencing. And this last bit that I mentioned, really this is where uh, in some ways you can think of more targeted ideas for investors that are looking to benefit from these global trends related to sustainability. However, I would be remiss really to mention that um, if we think across all of these areas, um, you know, as, as we have discussed on this podcast and, and this call before, sustainable investing is not a specific asset class. It's an investment philosophy that can be found and implemented across asset classes. So as you're looking, for example, uh, to, to alternatives and private market solutions um, as a diversification opportunity, you can also look for impact investing, for example, um, private equity as, as just, again, one example of the private market solution that would enable this additional diversification. So that's just one important point to to note as as we're here today to really discuss and dig into these opportunities related to net zero that we've observed. Appreciate that clarity, Amantia. Always helpful to reinforce those points. And that was a very helpful backdrop to uh, begin the conversation. To your point, maybe we can take a few moments now to dive into some of these themes and focuses outlined within CIO's Q4 notes. So uh, there is a lot of focus on the reduction of CO2 emissions. And I know that attaching a price to carbon has been identified by governments around the world as perhaps a strategy for helping to achieve net zero targets. So Amatia, what has been implemented on this front thus far? And are there any related opportunities to this that you can speak of? Sure. So um, really, I mean, um, this focus on the reduction of carbon emissions um, has really been accelerating and gaining additional momentum over the last couple of years, in particular over, over the course of 2021, as we are heading very quickly now into the uh, Global Climate Summit that will happen the first week of November, where governments um, and negotiators will gather to, to look at commitments that they're making to, to move towards the reduction of carbon emissions um, and, and move to, uh, you know, a more stable and uh, economy and world over over the longer term. And so, you know, these long-term 
uh, views and objectives are creating some opportunities that, that uh, are manifesting or materializing recently. So you mentioned um, attaching a price to carbon as, as one strategy or one tool to help achieve net zero, which is being considered by governments from really across the world. Now, uh, truly, this is one mechanism that um, is would, would potentially help to achieve this target, and therefore we're seeing it being utilized across the European Union, where we've seen the most liquid and, and oldest um, carbon credit uh, market, as well as across you know, China, where the, the national level emissions trading scheme for carbon credit really just came live, came online earlier this year, but also here in the U.S. with the California and Northeast uh, making two separate carbon uh, credit markets. Now, <laughs> I'm talking about carbon credit markets here. Let me take actually one step back uh, and, and just for a refresher to get all of our listeners on the same page here. Um, these carbon credit markets depend on cap and trade emission mechanisms. And um, under these systems, essentially companies need to buy emission permits which sometimes are called carbon allowances or carbon credits. So those are the terms I'm using via an auction. Uh, either they need to buy the carbon permit, which determines how much emissions they are allowed to, to release in the atmosphere within a certain time period in an auction, or they receive the permit for free, so to speak, it's allocated to them uh, based on specific industry benchmarks that are determined by the regulator in sort of um, in the jurisdiction where they operate. So be it, you know, they're operating in California, then it would be the California regulator if they're in the European Union, it's the, the kind of broad EU Commission. So at the end of this year, each year, companies then must surrender enough of the allowances that they've purchased at an auction or have been allocated to cover the emissions that they have released in the atmosphere for the year. Uh, and if they don't surrender or retire these allowances, then they would be fined or face some negative consequence. So, you know, companies then um, determine, you know, basically look at their emissions uh, and look at their uh, and what sort of any efficiencies that, that they can create in lowering their emissions potentially, uh, or they look at whether they need more emissions than the allowance that has been given to them, and then they can go and trade these emissions uh, and allowances on the secondary market. So essentially, if a company can reduce its emissions more than its allocation, then it can keep the spare allowances and, and generate some, some income. And you can see how this is, you know, as, as there's this additional focus on reducing carbon uh, emissions from governments, and potentially we may see... Um, further implementation of these cap-and-trade systems, um, we see that companies that are um, more efficient uh, in, at managing their own emissions are potentially you know, better positioned uh, relatively to their peers to benefit uh, from uh, kind of this trend. So in other words, ESG leader type companies in regulated industries um, as well as ESG leader companies that are looking to participate in these secondary markets um, as a way to decrease or, or 
kind of share, uh, sell the carbon credits of, that they're creating through their operations um, are the ones that we see opportunities for in the next um, kind of for the Q4 outlook, but also beyond. The refresher on carbon credit markets was very helpful, and it's interesting to hear about developments overseas. I know you mentioned the European Union as well as China, including, of course, here in the U.S., and clearly plenty of opportunities to be had. Maybe we can pivot a bit, Amantia, to more thematic ideas, as you mentioned. Can you walk us through the clean air and carbon reduction theme from the Chief Investment Office and maybe speak to the role that technology is playing here? Yeah, of course. So, you know, that idea that we were just discussing is um, is really looking across industries, in particular those that are more emission intensive. But but we have identified other more thematic ideas, and one of them is clean air and carbon reduction, which is really related to again the same objective of moving towards the net zero uh, carbon uh, kind of transition, where we're seeing at least four um, areas uh, that, that will benefit from this transition as they help reduce CO2 emissions. So one of them um, is you know, renewables and renewable energy, and in particular um, as it relates to power generation, kind of benefiting from this additional focus uh, on this topic. The second one is electric vehicles, and this is really to your point of how technology is helping both of these areas, helping uh, create um, kind of cost efficiencies uh, and economies of scale to create opportunities in both of these um, themes. A third one is energy efficiency for buildings in particular, another point of focus and opportunity to reduce emissions. And then finally, we see opportunities in hydrogen um, so uh, for, for utilization in particular across industry, transportation, and buildings for, for power purposes. Um, so, you know, in, and in addition to these four areas that I mentioned, in some countries, carbon capture and storage will also be an important technology that will create opportunities. However, um, this is still in, in a way in earlier stages when it comes to development. Now, um, what I would say is that um, a lot of the backing for our investment thesis around these four areas for the quarter and beyond um, is really uh, kind of supported by the different commitments, financial commitments in particular, that we have seen, again, from around the world um, as, as sort of we're discussing. That's the backdrop of our conversation here. Um, and one of these examples is, for example, the... Uh, European Union recently launched FIT uh, for 55 policy, which um, is a nice name to, to indicate the body of legislation that the EU is proposing to support its ambition of reducing carbon emissions across the Union by 55% um, in the next decade. And really, this is creating opportunities for these type of green, uh, so to speak, um, um, emission reduction schemes that are related to clean air. As you mentioned a few moments ago, Amantia, early days for some of these technologies. So, of course, we'll be tracking the evolutions, though. Thank you for some color there on the clean air and carbon reduction theme. Uh, What about other solutions that can benefit from this focus on decarbonization? Maybe to that point, Amantia, can you tell us more about CIO's Green Tech Goes Global theme and maybe speak to some notable developments or pledges from around the world? Sure. So, I mean, um, really all of these themes are sort of come together and are in different angles of looking at a different but complementary set of opportunities here uh, when it comes to this space. So, 
Our Green Tech Grows global team highlights companies that will play a key role in the global energy transition. So, you know, while all of these carbon neutrality goals are long-term and some of these opportunities will take um, longer to materialize, we do see attractive investment opportunities emerging in the medium to short term. And as I mentioned, you know, earlier, this EU Fit for 55, for example, uh, set of policy um, is is one that would, if approved by the European Union, create opportunities um, kind of now in, in the near term. And we've already seen um, benefits, um, you know, of the, the announcement of these types of policies um, materialize in terms of the performance of, of our um, kind of specific theme. Uh, in particular, as, as uh, we've seen it outperform global equities, you know, since uh, since May. So, so we've seen this market kind of short-term, very clear opportunistic um, performance for green tech goes global. Um, the companies that this, this thing focuses on are leading global companies, really diversified across the globe, um, that are active on you know, renewable energy, transport, batteries, hydrogen, and digitalization, as well as energy efficiency. So as you can tell, it's a way for investors to gain exposure to this theme through uh, a diversified manner across both industries, sub-themes, uh, sub-ideas, as well as uh, geography. Well, it is encouraging to hear about how some of these private sector companies are at the forefront of commitment. So thank you for bringing us up to speed there, Amanti. Another topic maybe we can spend a couple of moments on. I know we've touched on this on the Sustainable Investing Perspectives podcast in, in times past, but uh, sustainable bonds. Amanti, can you refresh us on the scope of this market and CIO's performance expectations? Maybe be even relative to traditional bonds. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, and uh, you're right. We keep talking about sustainable bonds because, um, as we look at you know uh, equity uh, opportunities, there are many in sustainability. But we really should not forget that, as I mentioned earlier, sustainable investing is not one specific asset class, and there's uh, potential implementation and opportunities there across fixed income as well. Now. When it comes to sustainable bonds, they comprise of green social sustainability as well as sustainability-linked bonds. And they make up a universe of around uh, 1.8 trillion US dollars, but it's certainly a universe that we're seeing grow rapidly. So supply continues to grow as well as demand um, is, is steady and consistent for green bonds as well as all of these other types of sustainable bonds. Um, green bonds, I just called out, Specifically, and, and these are bonds where the use of proceeds is used to finance projects that have clear environmental benefits. So, for example, uh, companies will, or, or sovereigns or, or any other market participants, will go to the market to raise a green bond with the objective of supporting its uh, projects around renewable energy, energy efficiency, or sustainable agriculture, just to name three as examples. Um, but what we're seeing about green bonds is that they currently make up the largest part of the sustainable bonds universe with over uh, one trillion US dollars of uh, bonds that, that are labeled green having been issued already. And in terms of performance, your question, Dan, really, you know, what, in our view and our assessment is that sustainable bonds should perform comparatively to their traditional counterparts. 
um, at the same, looking at sort of within the same tenure and duration. Um, so, but given that we think that the sustainable bond market is able to deliver these returns that are comparable, we also think that, you know, again, just like with traditional credit investing, when you pick the right names across both developed and emerging markets and from looking, you know, diversifying across investment grade and high yield, you also have the potential to deliver outperformance compared to the market uh, through these sustainable bonds and therefore look for opportunities that can grant some forms of unconventional yield. Um, again, kind of emphasizing the, my point at the top that sustainable bonds as well as sustainable themes broadly can be thought through across all of our investment ideas. It's an important point to touch on and one I know over the years we've been reinforcing that participation in sustainability linked investments does not mean sacrifice in return. So thank you for hitting on that for us, Amantia. I know we've covered a lot of ground. It's been a very productive conversation. And for uh, those who yet haven't, I do encourage you to read further into the Q4 Outlook publication to dig a bit deeper into the theme and focuses that Amantia shared with us on the podcast today. Though, Amantia, before we close out the conversation, any final thoughts or takeaways you'd like to leave for us? Um, I think really I would just re-emphasize what you just mentioned, which is an encouragement to take a look at the broader publication and look at our um, ideas for the entire quarter with sustainable um, investment ideas, both thematic as well as across um, ESG leaders or sustainable bonds being one element of it that allows investors to benefit from this global transition that we're observing currently and the focus on climate. However, also one that, that can be a way to implement across all of the other ideas. Well, Amantia, thank you again for dropping by top of the morning today. As I mentioned, very productive conversation and very much appreciate all of the ground that you've covered with us. Of course, a lot of these themes focuses fluid ongoing, so I'm sure we'll look forward to having some follow-up conversations. Though, Amantia, thank you again for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Always a pleasure to join. And again, today we've been joined by Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication which Amantia has been making reference to during today's podcast, uh, the Q4 Outlook piece from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So for clients of UBS, of course, be sure to contact your financial advisor if you have any questions about the topics covered on today's podcast, or if you would like to receive a copy of that Q4 Outlook publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.